Three years ago, we launched a feel-good campaign at Chatbooks called Live Happy. We were leaning into the idea that even in the toughest of circumstances, each of us can find something in our everyday lives that makes us happy. And boy, has this been put to the test this past year. But according to happiness expert Gretchen Rubin, sometimes the key to happiness is simply acknowledging that life kind of sucks right now. Seriously. Now, if you've read any of Gretchen's books, like The Happiness Project, Happier at Home, Outer Order, Inner Calm, or The Four Tendencies, you know that Gretchen is a fountain of knowledge. And in this episode of the podcast, she's teaching us ways that we can all be happier, whether we are a natural-born Tigger or an Eeyore. Also, as a frame of reference, we recorded this episode back in the fall, and finally we're able to post it. But I think you'll find that all of the content is evergreen. Do you have a pressing question about parenting but don't know who to ask? We are women supporting women, and we've got you. I'm Vanessa Quigley, and welcome to the Mom Force Podcast brought to you by Chatbooks. Okay, one quick announcement before we get started. There has been one exciting development since we recorded this episode back in the fall, and I think it's going to make you all very happy. Chatbooks just launched a brand new product called Monthbooks. It's a new monthly subscription that creates photo books straight from your camera roll without needing to post anything to social media. Now it's even easier to hold on to the everyday moments that truly make us happy. Consider Monthbooks the big sister to our monthly minis, just slightly bigger and made to be shown off in a range of gorgeous colors. Seriously, they are so beautiful. You just have to go see for yourself on our Chatbooks Instagram. Each softcover book is $8, or you can get a hardcover book for $13, and shipping is always free. And to celebrate the launch, we are doing a BOGO deal. Buy one month book and get your second book free. Now on to our interview. Hello, hello, Gretchen. Welcome to the Mom Force Podcast. I'm so happy to be talking to you today. Do you remember a couple of years ago, we did a Facebook Live. We had a whole campaign called Live Happy. And I interviewed you as a happiness expert. And it was so awesome. But the time went by so fast. I had so many more questions for you. So this is a thrill for me to get to grill you with all the stuff that I didn't get to ask. Oh, good. Well, this is my favorite topic to talk about. So we can talk all day, I, very happily from my perspective. Yay, yay, yay. Well, the world has changed a lot in the last couple of years. I know you have two daughters. How old are your daughters now? Um, I have one who's 21. So she's starting her senior year in college. And then I have one who's 15 who will be a 10th grader. Does your older daughter, does she live at home? She she has been home since Safer at Home, but she is going to go live in an apartment. Her school is virtual only for teaching, and they announced that in July. So she's known for a long time that she wouldn't be going back into a classroom. But she wanted to go sort of just be in the area just to kind of give it that college feel. Yeah, I have a couple college kids, and they came home during you know COVID when everything yeah. was shutting down. Yeah. And one of them decided that she likes to live at home. And then my son was like, uh-uh, I got, I got to get out of here. So even though his classes are all online... He's living away with his roommates, having yeah. that experience. Yeah, I think it's hard for them to try to figure out how to handle it, kind of this unprecedented situation in the right way. Yeah, they want to stretch their legs and be adults, and that's hard to do when they're living at home, at yes. least in my house where I make them follow all my rules still. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. I have a lot of 30-something friends who, for whatever reason, went home. Like maybe they were living in a studio apartment in New York City, and their parents had like a big suburban house in Alabama or Philadelphia or whatever. And so it's also kind of different to be sheltering in place with your parents when you're in your 30s. Yeah. I think we're going to see like a lot of novels and plays and movies coming out of that because I think for all of them, it's been a really intense experience 
experience, but we've run this experiment. So everybody's kind of seeing what's to be learned. It's interesting. Well, you're the queen of running experiments. Your book, The Happiness Project, is a giant (laughs) experiment on how you can crank up the happiness in your own life and how we can be happier at home, especially. And I have lots of questions for you. You ready to dive in? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. I've heard you describe that what you do is relentlessly explore human nature. And you talk often about how much you love finding ways to improve. And you have a whole book titled Better Than Before. I am also a bit of a self-help junkie. Would you describe yourself as a self-help junkie? Is that a good thing? That's not the way I think of it, but you could think of it that way. I don't think my husband thinks very high of it because he he gets tired of me always wanting to start another program and get better and let's do this. Well, one thing I do with my husband is I never try to make him join. He That's not oh. the guy I married. He's not going to do anything with me. Sometimes he sees what I'm doing and decides to follow along on his own, but I never try to get him to do it with me because he just doesn't. That That's one of your secrets of happiness. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I sometimes get so excited in my enthusiasm. I want everyone to join me in this. I've discovered this new way. But even with all my enthusiasm, sometimes I have trouble following through with things, especially as a parent. And I've got seven kids and right now four living at home. That is a parent Olympics. That's a lot. But sometimes you're just so overwhelmed with every single day we're forced to explore human nature, as you say, in sickness and in health and with the ups and downs in every phase of life. That's the life of a parent. So as a mother of two, Gretchen, do you ever get tired of relentlessly exploring human nature? No. I mean, to me, it's just inexhaustibly fascinating. Like it's, it, it might be tiresome in my own household, like you say, like under my own roof, seeing what, you know, the people in my life are doing, but just in terms of thinking about it in general, I love to think about it. I mean, I love Game of Thrones. I love reading novels. I love reading biographies. I love, you know, it's so much of human nature is just observing and watching stories play out and see what people do. I mean, people do things... You know, sometimes I'll think that makes no sense and yet it makes perfect sense to me. Like I completely get that. And in all of my books, one of the things that I love is like seeing patterns that I didn't understand before. Like people are doing this thing that doesn't seem to make sense to me, but now I can put it in a framework where it does make sense because usually things do make sense if you understand why some, and, and people don't themselves often don't understand why they do what they do. So I do find it inexhaustibly interesting in, in, intellectually, even if I don't particularly feel like thinking about, you know, how to get my daughter to be more excited about starting the school year or whatever. So you say that you don't make your husband join you in all of your experiments, right? No. Okay. No. And I think that's probably wise. <laughs> in a marriage. But it's different with kids, right? That's part of our job is to teach them and help them be happy, right? So do you draw lines there too? You know, that is a really interesting question. It's something I've thought about a lot because I do think it's one of the duties of parents to try to like help children understand how to be happier. But I've I've noticed a couple different things. One is research shows, and I think common experience confirms that, you know, people are born in different places and about 50% of happiness is hardwired. So some people are Tiggers and some people are Eeyores and that's pretty much hardwired. Then like 10 to 20% is life circumstances like age, health, wealth, occupation, marital status. And then all the rest is very much a function of our conscious thoughts and actions. And a lot of times when I hear parents saying to me, like, I wanted to help my child be happier. When I talk to them, what I realize is you're an eight on the one to 10 scale. You're a tigger. 
Mm. And you got a kid who's a five on the one to 10 scale. They're an Eeyore and you're not going to turn them into an eight. And they are who they are. It's like, you get what you get and you don't get upset. Eeyores like being Eeyores. They feel like they see the world more rationally and they do. That's what research is. So, so sometimes I think when we think I want to make my children happier, it's like, I want my children to feel the way that I do yeah. out of love and because I want them to be happier. And also because I feel kind of drained by their fiveness. I want them to be an eight like me. And so I think sometimes you have to just accept, well, people are just going to be in kind of different ranges. We can all do things with our conscious thoughts and actions that are going to push us up to the top of our range. And we can do things that are going to drag us down to the bottom of our range but I think you're not going to fundamentally transform an Eeyore into a Tigger. And so I think sometimes people are just kind of not understanding the variety of human nature. Yeah. And another thing is, I think for me, and I may, I may err too far on this side, maybe just out of laziness, I don't know, but I feel very reluctant to intervene in what I consider other people's fates. So I don't do a lot. Like, I really, really love to read. And so people are always saying to me, like, oh, do your children love to read? And I'm like, they don't love to read the way I love to read. I wish they did love to read the way I love to read, but I don't really try to get them to read more other than to just like put books in their way that I think that they would like and hope that they pick them up. Because I'm sort of like, they should just do what comes naturally to them. Reading comes really naturally to me, but maybe they should be doing something else. And so I don't really try to intervene in that way. Also, I've noticed, you know, a lot of times people are like, well, if I don't constantly stay on my kid to clean up his room, he's going to grow up and be a really inconsiderate spouse and a really inconsiderate roommate in college. And so I have this duty to make sure this person makes their bed every day. Yes, I have those thoughts. <laughs> okay, right. But, you know, I feel like a lot of times it's part of autonomy for children to kind of like they have their little space that they can control and they want to kind of do their own thing with it. And it doesn't really necessarily translate into what they do as adults. Like, again, my husband... As a kid, he was pretty messy. In college, the way he describes his dorm room is like truly horrifying. I would never have even crossed foot over the threshold. And now he's Mr. Make the Bed and like put dirty clothes in a hamper. You know, so I think part of it is also kind of like age and stage. And so I think sometimes parents can be like, well, if I see this behavior now, it's just like, I have to fix it now. So what I try to do most with my children to be happier is to try to help them see themselves more clearly. Because I think this is really confusing to all of us, adults and children alike. Like, who am I? What do I like? What environments do I thrive in? And to sort of say things to my, my daughters like, wow, you, when you go into a work environment, you really like an, an organization that seems really well organized and really well run. You, you don't seem to like the kind of scrappier organizations. Some people really like that. Seems like you like a bigger organization, more organizer. And she's like, yeah, it seems like that's the case when I think back on it. Or, wow, it seems like you do much better when you eat breakfast or whatever. Just helping people notice patterns in themselves. Because I think that sometimes we don't notice what our strengths are or even what we're interested in. It helps when other people point them out. So I, or like, I really admire that you did that. I really admired my daughter because she was you know, like home from college. She took a class in Excel just because she thought she should like learn the skill. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I really admire that. That's not easy. That's not an interesting thing. Nobody assigned that to you. You just decided that that would be a good idea. And you did it. I really admire that. Like I wouldn't have told her to do it, but I can tell her that I admire it. And I think that that's something that that's one way to try to help children be happier. So kind of being um, an observer and a guide at times as the kids discover who they are, right? Rather than trying to fit them I into the box so. and the mold that we want them to be. I think so. So it's okay that they don't clean their rooms every day like you want them to? That's part of their 
progression in discovering themselves? I mean, I think so. But I mean, I think everybody kind of has to decide for themselves, too. Well, if the know? happiness like, expert says that that's the way to, to go, I'm going to go with that. And just, so it's interesting. So I have a podcast, The Happier Podcast. And I posed a question to listeners, which was, this was all about safer at home. So my daughters were starting to sit really late. Like they always are kind of late because, you know, teenagers, young adults, they, they are more owl-like. But they were staying really late and sleeping late. But they could because their classes didn't start until, you know, I don't know what time. Same stuff is happening at my house too. I know, it's crazy. And I said to people, well, I can't decide because on the one hand, like all this is falling apart. Can they just take this like one little treat that they can stay up late and sleep late and I should let them have it? Or I am asleep zealot. I'm really committed to the idea that people need good sleep and it's important for memory and mood and all these things and they should go to sleep at like a a decent hour, get up at a decent hour, stay more or less in the schedule, even if, you know, they stay, if it's a little bit slides, how do I decide? And somebody emailed what I thought was the right answer. She said, do whatever's best for the relationship right now. I was like hundred percent. The best thing for the relationship is to let them stay up late because it's just going to be a fight every night. It's a fight every night because they just want to stay up late. And it's like, you know what? The relationship is the most important thing that matters to me right now. And so same thing with making your bed. You've got a 16 year old, you're fighting about a lot of stuff. Do you want to fight about the bed? Because maybe you could let that go and, you know, have a little bit more harmony. I didn't make my bed when I was 16, but I do now. Because I see, I see the benefit Me of making too. the bed. And so Me. now as a grown woman, I, I think we worry that like if we don't teach them these things now, yes. they're never going to be functioning proper yes. adults. I, but for all of us, it's an evolution. Absolutely. I totally agree. I'm curious, Gretchen, what is your idea of a decent hour to go to bed? For myself, um, yeah. I get to bed like 10. Okay, yes. For my daughters, I would say... I would like to say midnight, but I'm going to say one. One. Okay. When good. they don't think... go to school. When they don't go to school at a normal hour. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That's good to know. What would you say? What would you say? I, one, if they're not going to school, if they're going to school, I want them to at least be in their room at 10. They can read or do whatever. Yes. yes. Um, that's what like, I would say for my 15-year-old. Yeah. I have a lot of memories of staying up way past midnight on school nights and somehow I made it work. But like, I think cracking the whip and saying, no, you got lights out. You got to be asleep. You need your sleep. Like that is going to be detrimental to the relationship. So I think that's such a great thought to have in front of mind as we're raising kids through all of the ages and stages because they all can be challenging. Well, And I think one of the things that's going to be really fascinating about this COVID period is I'm sure that there's a bunch of researchers right now who are studying how the changes in sleep patterns have affected cognitive development in children and and young adults, because it's something that we all know the research showing that if you delay the start of the school day for like high schoolers, their scores go up, their attendance goes up, their focus goes up, you know, that they really do much, but that they're just genetically hardwired as young adults to stay up later and sleep later, that's just built, that's the circadian rhythm of life is that babies and older people are, are more morning people and teenagers and young adults are more owlish. And, and that's just, you know, kind of hardwired into all of us. But because so many children are able to sleep later because they don't have that commute to school and because school is starting later, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. Do they think that children's executive function is like benefited from this? 
or is it that children can't manage it? Or, you know, I mean, it's just, I'm sure that people are like running all kinds of brain tests to see, um, because like we were saying, this is an experiment that nobody would have opted into, but it's happening. And I'm sure people are, are, are trying to see, are there lessons that we can learn for the future, given what we're learning now from how people are thriving or not thriving under the, these kind of very unusual conditions that we're in. And, and because yeah. different parts of the country are doing it differently, I'm sure there's like all kinds of like, you know, interesting comparisons that you can run yeah. based on how, how it's different in different places. You were talking about how some people are thriving and some people aren't thriving, especially in yeah. this really stressful, unusual time. I've heard you say that to make people feel happier, one of the things you can do is acknowledge that they aren't feeling happy. And I know for me with my family and even for myself, it's been really important to say, you know what? You're right. This all sucks. This is terrible. I'm yes. unhappy about it too. Yeah. But I'm curious yeah. your thought process behind that statement. Why does doing that help you be happier? Well, where I really first got my my insight into this and, and, and was persuaded of it is one of my all-time favorite, maybe my very favorite parenting book, which is the masterpiece called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk mm. by yes, Faber and yes, Maislish. Yes. And they've written many, many excellent books. Also, Siblings Without Rivalry is one of my other favorites. But I, I, this book is so good. It's really aimed at the parents of like preschoolers, but I use it with my, my mother-in-law just as much because it's really about communication. And one of the things they point out, and until I really thought about it, I hadn't realized how often I fell into this trap, which is when we deny the reality of other people's feelings. So somebody says, I'm hungry. And you say, you're not hungry. You just ate. Somebody says, I don't want to go to the party and says, don't be silly. You always have fun when you go to a party. Or someone says, I don't want to see grandma. And you say, oh, you love to see grandma. It's like, somebody's just told you they don't feel that way. Why are you denying the, the reality of their feelings? And I feel this as an adult. If I say to my husband, oh my gosh, it was such a pain that, to wait for the cable guy. And my husband said, we should just be grateful that we got an, an appointment right away. I'm like, okay, but you're not hearing what I'm saying, which is it's really annoying to have to wait for the cable guy. And when somebody acknowledges the reality of your feeling, it's kind of allows us to let go of it because we feel heard and we're like, okay, I've said my piece and other people have acknowledged you know, the reality of how I feel. But when it's we so deny it, it makes people kind of dig in. Yeah. It is, right? I don't like negativity. So whenever I hear a negative statement, I always want to flip it around to like, oh, yeah, but yes. this, this, and this, and oh, but you love this. Yes. And it's just, I especially am seeing the result of my tendency to do that in my husband. Like, he is so tired mm. of me <laughs> looking at the bright side or, you yeah. know, just I need to be able to allow him to, in that moment, feel the frustration, the negativity, the uh, the yucky, Right. Right. And I think one way that it's coming up right now is that a child says something like, it's not fair that I don't get to go to my gymnastics class. And so you think to yourself, oh my gosh, is my child so selfish? Is it all she can think about is herself and her gymnastics class when the whole world is falling apart? And so you say to that child, do you know what other people are facing? This is just not a big deal. you know." And it's like, that doesn't make that child feel any better. It doesn't put it into perspective. You can say something like, that's really disappointing. You've been looking forward to the gymnastics class all summer long, and now you don't know when you're going to be able to go back because it doesn't make any difference to the rest of the world. You know what I mean? And then actually when you feel hurt in this way, I think it actually opens you up to more empathy. And I've noticed with my daughter, and again, she's 15, so she's older, when I acknowledge the reality of her feelings, she often then will talk herself into a bigger perspective. She'll say, 
but I get it, you know, I mean, given everything that could have gone wrong, I, I, I guess I'm pretty lucky that I was in 10th grade. I feel much, much sorrier for the seniors because for them, it's a lot worse. For me, it's not, this year isn't so special. For them, it's a really special year. So she was able to put it into perspective on, on her own. I think when I didn't try to kind of force her to into that position where she might have resisted me and saying like no but this is really different this is really special for me too it's like she was able to kind of allow herself to sort of say this is bad for me but look around it could have been worse and she got there on her own rather than just being like yeah 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 rolling her eyes when I say that because you do want to put it in perspective yeah but what you're saying is that they're able to find that perspective on their own if they're not so busy defending themselves and being like, no, no, but I really am mad and I have a right to feel this way. Absolutely. I think it lets you get to that next stage because you don't have to keep insisting on kind of the stage you're in. I think it's a hundred percent correct. It like frees you to take a wider view, but it's very hard to do in the moment. Like I say this, but I mean, I mean, all the time. Okay. I'm the worst (laughs) at this. I'm committing right now to be better, but it is so hard because gosh, we are all so different. And that's something that you also say is that happiness doesn't come in a one-size-fits-all package, right? And that's yeah. because we, we're we all different. We have different interests yeah. and personalities. Yes. And your book, The Four Tendencies, is just amazing at helping you discover this is who I am and this is why I do this and this is why I'm good at these things and why I struggle with these things. And for those of you who have not read the book or taken the quiz, we're going to put the link in the show notes to the quiz because I thought this was fascinating. My husband and I, I read the book, of course, and I took the quiz. And my husband and I are polar opposites. I'm um, an obliger with upholder tendencies. And he is a questioner with rebel tendencies. And I have Mm. to say, he did not like that he had rebel tendencies. That does not fit Mm. the view he has of himself. Do you Mm. ever have people get mad? Like, no, this is not me. I refuse to be that person. You want to be one thing, but the reality is you're another I do. I think some people do. I mean, to me, every tendency has strengths and weaknesses. Every te- There are people who are wildly successful of every tendency and also people who are big losers. So to me, it's like take advantage <laughs> of the strengths and figure out ways to offset the, the weaknesses and limitations. And then that's how you have your happiest, most productive life. So to me, they all seem kind of equal. But I will say that there are people who sort of say, well, I don't want to be this. I want to be right. that. And I'm like, well, you don't really get to. It's like, I would like to be very athletic. It's like, yeah. Okay. Sorry. That well, didn't... <laughs> that's, yeah, that's not, that's not what I see. When but I like what we mirror. were saying earlier, knowing yourself, that's where happiness comes from, right? It's knowing yes. yourself. So yes. we can help our kids yes. discover yes. who they are, the, what makes them yes. unique and special. Yes. And, you know, really digging in and figuring out who we are and like, why do I do this? Oh, because I'm an obliger and yeah. I, yeah. I have an easier time being accountable to other people than I am to myself. When you yeah. know that, that gives you more power and I think happiness yes. and peace and you can move forward. Should I go through the four tendencies? Yes, yes, so please tell us. I love it. And then we can talk about you being an obliger because, you know, that is the biggest tendency for both men and women. And it's the tendency that pairs up the most easily with all the other tendencies. So you and your husband may be opposites, but obligers, obligers can yeah, handle we, anybody. We get along so. with everyone. <laughs> you get along with it. It's a typo, right? Very fitting. Okay. So what the tendencies look at sounds very boring, but turns out to be really juicy, which is how you respond to expectations. So we all respond to two kinds of expectations, outer expectations like a work deadline or request from a friend 
and inner expectations, like my own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, my own desire to get back into meditation. And depending on how you meet outer and inner expectations in combination, that's what makes you an upholder, a questioner, an obliger like you, or mm -hmm. a rebel. So it's at quiz.gretchenrubin.com. And 3 million people have taken this free quiz. It's like super quick. But most people know what they are just the minute I describe it. So I'll just describe it really quickly. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. So their motto is discipline is my freedom. Then there are questioners like your husband. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they resist anything arbitrary, inefficient, unjustified. They have to know why. They always want justification. So their motto is, I'll comply if you convince me why. Yes. Then there are obligers like you. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So I got my first insight into this tendency when a friend said to me, the weird thing is I know I would be happier if I exercised. And when I was in, in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Well, when yeah. she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up, she had no trouble showing up. But when she's just trying to go on her own, she struggles. So the key thing for obligers to know is that if they want to meet an inner expectation, they must create a system of outer accountability. If you want to read more, join a book group. If you want to exercise more, take a class, work out with a trainer, work out with a friend who's going to be annoyed if you don't show up, raise money for a charity that doesn't get the money if you don't do the 5K, think of your duty to be a role model to other people, whatever form that takes, you need outer accountability. So the motto of the obliger is, you can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count mm -hmm. on me. And then finally, rebels. Rebels that resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do. They can do anything they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And typically, they don't tell themselves what to do. Like They don't sign up for the 10 a.m. spin class on Saturday because they think, I don't know what I'm going to want to do on Saturday. And just the idea that someone's expecting me to show up yeah. is going to annoy me. And so their motto is, you can't make me and neither can I. So those are the four. So your tendency, obliger tendency, is the largest for both men and women in the world. You either are an obliger, you have many obligers in your life. And the smallest tendency, though it's a very conspicuous tendency, is rebel. And my tendency, upholder tendency, is only slightly larger than rebels. Those are like the two kind of extreme personality types. They're smaller, questioner and obliger are larger. So I, I, I read the book and my husband and I did the quiz and we talked about ourselves, but I, I couldn't help but think about my kids and, and how they yes. fit in. And sometimes they all feel like rebels. With seven, <laughs> you could have so many combinations. So I'm many. dying to hear. What's your lineup? But I'm curious though, do you change? Like for kids especially, like I know as adults, we kind of get set in our ways and we do change, you know, as we continue to mature. But for kids, is it like an ongoing evolution and has being aware of your children's tendencies helped you parent them? And can you give an example of that? Well, this is a great question. And I have to say, I'm very, I'm much a believer in the genetic roots of personality. And I think that your tendency is something that's hardwired. It's something that you bring into the world. And of okay. course, it's influenced by like your environment. Like if you're a questioner in North Korea, you're going to learn to shut that down. If you're a questioner in Silicon Valley, it can be your greatest asset. And obviously with time and experience, I think a lot of times people manage 
their tendencies better. And so I'll have people say to me, I used to be an obliger, but now I'm an upholder. And I'd be like, okay, well, let's, let's look at this. And what I yeah. realized is they've just figured out over the years that they, they have to have accountability for anything they want to do. So they've just sort of seamlessly built that into their life. So they kind of look from the outside like an upholder because they've cleverly created all the outer accountability that they need to reach their aims for themselves. But it's not that they were one at 20 and one at 40 or one at home and one at work. It's, I think it's really the same thing. It's interesting about the tendencies though with children because children are not autonomous in the way adults are. And so it can take a long time um, to understand with children. Some children, it's very apparent from like age three. You know, I've had, many people say to me, I knew from the time that my child could talk what tendency they were. And we have associations like all toddlers ask why or all teenagers are rebels, but that's not really the case. Yeah. If, you t- if you think you have like a rebel kid and then you talk to a, somebody who's actually the parent of a rebel, you can really, I was do, doing a talk once and this guy stood up at the back. He's like, listen, sidebar, man, I'll talk to you in the lobby afterwards and we will talk about what a rebel teenager really looks like because you're not describing a rebel teenager. But with one of my children, uh, my younger daughter, if I, I hadn't invented the, the framework yet, but it's very clear to me that from the get-go, she was an upholder. And maybe I recognize that more easily because I'm an upholder myself. And so it's very clear to me like what the patterns are. And it's very obvious that she's an upholder. Um, my older daughter took a lot longer. I couldn't figure out what she was until she went to college. And then I realized that she's a questioner. She's a mm-hmm. questioner who tips to uphold her. So it's funny because my husband and I each have a child who exactly matches us. I think that's kind of an unusual exact matchup. But it's nice in that you have somebody who really gets your perspective. It can be hard when you have like an upholder parent and a rebel child or a rebel parent and an upholder child, say, because they see the world so differently, which is why I think it's helpful to know the tendencies because sometimes you can intellectually understand something that you kind of eluded you when you were just trying to think about from your own perspective. Mm-hmm. So what, So I'm dying to hear, what do you think your kids are? Make them take the quiz too. I know. I should probably make them take the quiz. I mean, as I thought about it as I was reading the book, I really had a hard time with some of them because yeah. I have a couple that are clear upholders. Like they, they're just okay. very self-motivated. They do their thing. I have two very strong questioners, my oldest and my youngest. Okay. It's like they want okay. to know why and they want to explain to them and they're not moving or taking action yes. until it makes okay. sense to them. Sounds questioner, yeah. I don't think I have any true rebels. Mm. You'd probably know if you did. Yeah. Is it that obvious? Okay, so the thing that was so hard for my husband to accept, because in the book, I know you take the quiz and you get one tendency, but in the book you get a tendency, but then you can have like like a secondary one. Kind of the way you tip. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, because I was obliger with like a polder, you know, a okay. slam. That's what my sister, my sister is the co-host of the Happier Podcast, and that's, that's what she is. She's an obliger um, who tips to a polder. So yeah, I know that. I know that, that combo very well. So for my husband to be a questioner, he's totally fine with that. But to have any like rebel tendencies just doesn't fit Mm. with who he is, how he views himself as like a responsible father and husband and, you know, business leader. And it just feels like they don't go together. And he had just had the hardest time accepting that. But anyway, that's a sidebar. Uh, But but that brings (laughs) up something really important because the thing about rebel is it's not that rebels are – some people think that a rebel is like irresponsible – or narcissistic, or careless, or unmotivated. That's just not the case. Rebels can be whatever they want to be. Their Mm -hmm. identity is very important to them. And if there's an identity of a a rebel who's like, I'm a responsible parent, I'm a devoted spouse, I am an environmentalist, 
I am ambitious. I want to have power and money and influence. They can do anything they want to do. There's tremendous power. In they the make great entrepreneurs. No, they, yeah. Well, they're very, very guided by identity. And so it depends mm-hmm. on what their identity is. So if you have an identity of somebody who's like, you know what? I don't really care what you think. I don't, I'm not really that invested in this marriage. Like that's not going to be great because they're just going to do what they want. But the thing that's different about a rebel is that like a rebel does it because that's what they want to do. I'm doing this out of love for you. As an upholder, I'm like, I'm doing it because I should. And I want you to just do it. I don't want you to think about like, what is all this thinking about what we want? Just like get it done already. Like, I don't have time for that. But for Rebel, it's really about what they want. And so you can see how you can be in a situation where to try to get someone to kind of do what you want, right? Which is the secret of adulthood. You would make a different argument. So for instance, to a questioner, you would say, okay, we need to clean out the basement because your sister and her family are coming over, right? And the questioner would be like, well, why should we clean out the basement? Then I would say, oh, because if we clean out the basement, we're going to have this extra space and the kids will have place to play. If not, they're going to be in the way of the grownups. They'll have their own space and they'll stay out of our way. Okay, that makes good sense. The questioner will do it. Now to the rebel, you might say something like, I think it would, it would really make me feel good if the house were really welcoming for them. And I would love for your family to feel like we really went out of our way to make things suitable for them and prepare for them. And it would mean a lot to me if, if you could help me clean out the basement. So I'm going to do it out of love for you. I'm not doing it because you're telling me to. I'm not doing it because I'm supposed to. I'm doing it because it's important to you. I, I, I really wish it would mean a lot to me if you would come to this client dinner. I know it's really boring for you to sit around with all the clients and the spouses, but I really enjoy myself much more if you're there. It's really important to me. It would really, really mean a lot to me if you would do it, even though I know it's not your, your idea of a fun time. Okay, I'm not, I, I, if I said to you, you have to, look, you're my husband, you have to do it. It's like, I don't have to do anything, mm-hmm. but I'll choose to do it out of love for you. So it's a different way of framing something um, when you understand what the values of the tendencies are. And you can see how this comes into play with children. Like you're trying to get a child to practice piano or do their homework. Yeah. You would make very different arguments if you knew the tendencies of that child. Yeah, I could see a lot of value in that. We have a Mom Force Facebook group where we have a lot of really great questions being posed there. And some of them are really tough, but one of them actually we had like four people almost write the identical question. And I want to get your take on it. With all of this Ooh, okay. in, this in mind hard. and <laughs> with, with what I've read in Outer Order, Inner Calm and Happiness at Home, I want to get your take on this question. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. How in the season of young children can I be happy when it feels like I'm cleaning three hours a day to keep up, but the house is still always cluttered? The clutter stresses me out and so does all the cleaning. How can I enjoy this season of life with young kids and their messes. So I just finished reading Outer Order, Inner Calm, which is amazing. It has so many tips and tricks, and it's so easy to read. With that in mind, and understanding these different seasons and different personalities, how would you answer this question? Well, this is a huge question. And I think part of it is, is I think, in, in the question itself talks about this season. So part of it is to realize this is a season of life Older kids make a different kind of clutter, but there is a special kind of like creeping clutter of little kids. And so I had a plastic slide in my living room for years and a stroller by the front door. And it just, if you're, if you're an orderly soul, it just nags at you. And I think part of it is to remember the days are long, but the years are short. And I assure you, you will look back one yeah. day with great 
great nostalgia for the giant plastic slide. But that's no comfort right now. That's like the right. big perspective. <laughs> Here's one thing to do. A lot of people are just, they and their children are overwhelmed by stuff. And part of the reason that there's so much stuff everywhere is there's just so much stuff, period. And so you might want to try to encourage grandparents or like people buying for birthday parties to buy fewer things. If you could steer them, some people will be steered. Some people want to buy what they want to buy so that you don't have all the little things. If you can put some things away and let your kids play with a certain amount of things and they get tired of it and then you rotate and bring new things in because then it's like new to the child. It's more diverting. Um, but you don't have the massive stuff out. It's like every stuffed animal that your child has is out. It's just, it just feels overwhelming. Another thing is not to get too organized putting things away. I mean, I've been to a friend's house where it's like they're lining up the stuffed animals neatly on the shelf and they're like sorting the Lego thing. And they all say like, don't just have a toy box that you dump everything into. I'm like, heck yes, have the toy box that you dump everything into because then it like takes, you know, it's so much easier than like trying to put things away. Because the next day, it's like you never did it. You know, it's one thing if you have a kid who's like super into Legos and wants to have every little piece separated, but then probably that child's going to be interested in maintaining a system like that. But sometimes people are just committing to systems that are too hard. Right. Another thing is really try to make it convenient. Have things to put away so that it is really easy to put away. Another thing is, I know the feeling of being overwhelmed by just kind of the noisiness of the clutter keep some areas of your household free of children's clutter. Like tell your children they can't bring a toy into your bedroom or they can't bring a toy into the living room or whatever it would be in your house. So that if you feel like you need just a respite where you want to just like go, yeah, go read a novel in a place where you don't feel like you have to like run around for 30 minutes before you can even sit down, like with your mind clear tell them to limit themselves. One thing that I've heard of with this with this COVID situation that some people are doing is really reimagining their spaces to make them more livable right now. So for instance, I was talking, well, I live in New York City, so this is a really big issue in New York City because mm-hmm. there's so much limit on space. So she had two children, she had a pretty small apartment, but she did have, each of her two children did have their own room. But what she did is she put both children into one room and turned the other room into a playroom so that they could kind of like, build the giant castle out of blocks and and do that like in a dedicated space and of course there it was just like you know like explosion but then she could just close the door and there it was yeah smart even though in or the ordinary course of life it was nice to have each child in his own bedroom this worked better given like the heavy load that we're experiencing now and then she was thinking that maybe she'll turn that like into a school room yeah anyway it just you maybe have more flexibility with your space than you might think if something's really driving you nuts, yeah. maybe rethink the use of your stress because you could do it for a year or two and then switch it back depending. True. Yeah. So your book, Outer Order, Inner Calm, I just love, it's so easy to flip through and just get quick, easy ideas of how to, yes, to, yes, yes. to reign in the chaos. <laughs> and my personality, I remember as a, as a little girl, like I, I've already confessed that I didn't make my bed. I did not keep a clean room as a teenager, but as a little girl, I could not rest and fall asleep if I could see junk out. So I would take everything and put it under my bed or shove it in my closet so I could just lay there in the peace of knowing that my room was clean. So a lot of what you talk about in the book speaks to me. But, and you've just given us a lot of great ideas on how to manage that clutter. But one of the things I love about your podcast is you do a try this at home segment every episode. Can you give us a try this at home? Just one thing that as people are done listening to this, that they can go turn to their space and do to help them create 
that little bit of calm that we all crave. Mm. This is a different approach from what you're saying, but I think it gets to the same place, which is the one minute rule. So many people have told me that this is like transforming their spaces. So the one minute rule is anything you can do in less than a minute, you go ahead and do without delay. You don't let yourself off the hook. So if you can print out a document and file it, if you can hang up a coat instead of throwing it over a chair, if you can reach back and throw that piece of trash into the trash can instead of just like setting it next to you on your desk, go ahead and do it. And what this does is it just gets rid of that kind of scum of clutter that's on the surface of life. And none of these things are consequential, but when you walk into a room that has like 50 little teeny tasks, it's just like you feel overwhelmed. And doing it one minute at a time, it's just, you don't even notice it. It's just part of as you go through your day. And so many people have said that this just like drops dramatically how much just kind of Clears that scummy, scum of gritty. clutter. Yes. I, I love mean, that you phrase, know what scum it is. of clutter. It's like the pens are out, the binder clip is out, the book is out. I mean, they're not big things, but they just drag us down. And doing it one minute at a time feels manageable, even for the kind of most frantically busy person. All right. So many amazing things to think about, Gretchen. I love how you've challenged us to investigate and figure out who we are, what makes us tick, because that really, the secret of how to find happiness and create the change that we want in our life, that that lies in figuring out who we are and yes. help, helping our kids figure out who they are instead of trying to stuff them into the mold and make them do all yes. the things. And we just kind of observe and guide and keep them safe while they do it. And your work with the four tendencies... You guys, read the book, take the quiz. I think all of that is so helpful in just navigating life and relationships and especially in families because we know those family relationships, they are our most beloved, but they can be the most yeah. challenging, right? Especially now yeah. that we're spending <laughs> way more time together as we're all working from home and schooling from home. And I think recognizing that challenges, that happiness can come out of challenges. Admitting that we're not feeling great, that we're upset like that's the first step to really discovering true happiness. And that is actually one of the things that you've talked about is how novelty and challenge can be powerful source of happiness. And I totally get the novelty part. I'm the kind of girl that never orders the same thing twice at a restaurant. I like everything to be fresh Ooh. and new. But Ooh. the challenge part, I think that that's a little harder to understand how that can result in happiness. But you've given us some really great things to think about there and ideas of how to tackle some of these challenging situations, especially like mess and clutter at home. Because anyone with little kids knows that those kids, mm -hmm. they're adorable, but they come mm -hmm. with a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. They surely do. Yes. All right. Well, Gretchen, thank you for being here. and Thank you for sharing your insights. I could have just gone on a much deeper dive on the four tendencies. I think that is so fascinating. But thank you for all of those insights. Another thing that you do on your podcast are your gold stars and demerits, which always mm -hmm. reminds me of what we do at the dinner table. We do highs and lows. We've been doing this mm -hmm. for years, ever since our kids are little. And it kind of goes back to that idea of recognizing those uncomfortable things in our lives. We just went around the table yesterday and did highs and lows. And it's it's so insightful because at least for me with all of my kids, I sometimes just get the like top level view of how everyone's yes. doing. Yeah. But that opens up to like, oh, I had a really hard time in math today. And I would have never known that without asking those highs and lows. Gold stars and demerits. No demerits here, okay? Except for me oh, and good. my sleep yeah, and my sleep habits. All of that talk about sleep <laughs> is reminding me that. 
Sometimes I think I'm giving myself a treat by staying up late, but then it bites me in the end every time. I need to be better about sleep. But I have a giant gold star for you, Gretchen, for your podcast, for all of your books, for your generosity, for all of the goodness that you're putting out into the world. And it gives us hope because I think happiness, for me, it's been in short supply lately. I think it's been hard to to remember to be happy when just so much is in turmoil and up in the air. And you've just done a really important work to help us realize that one bit at a time, we can reclaim that happiness. Well, thanks so much. It was so fun. I feel like we could talk all day. We're interested in so many of the same subjects. So thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for joining the Mom Force. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and come join the conversation over on our Mom Force Facebook group and check out the show notes for a special Chapbooks discount code. Until next time. Bye.